This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. And hey, everybody, I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for the Baptist System. Well, today we are so excited. I recently met some friends out at Stanford, uh, Alpa Viaz and Dr. Justin Coe, and they're going to talk today about the great work that they're doing when it comes to improving for our patients and their families. Um, Alpa and Dr. Coe, if you would kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, where you work, what you do, and uh, about some of the work that you're involved in. Sounds good. Um... Justin, you okay if I kick off and then please, hand over to you? Yeah. Awesome. So uh, Jake and Skip, thanks for having us. Um, it's awesome to be able to share a little bit uh, with um, your uh, listeners about what we do. Again, Alpa VS, I'm the Vice President and Chief Patient Experience Officer at Stanford Healthcare. And I'm very lucky to have an amazing dyadic partner in Dr. Ko, um, who's going to chat in just a second here. Um, but the patient experience function um, at Stanford Healthcare is pretty interesting. Um, we have both an operational arm and a programmatic arm. Uh, so from an operations standpoint, um, we, we oversee um, our call centers, for example, um, that assists in patient scheduling. We also have a nurse advice line, our interpreters and translators, um, as well as our call center for member services. And then on the flip side, we have um, many programmatic uh, areas, including all of our patient experience, measurement, feedback, um, um, as well as our health education program, community benefits, um, our design program, um, and even the retail program that reports up to patient experience. So a great breadth of um, programs and services, uh, one foot in operations, uh, one foot in strategy, so to speak, um, which is a really great opportunity for us to get kind of the 30,000 foot view and the 500 foot view of what's happening um, in the organization. And when it comes to patients and families, we have a lot of interesting work um, happening around areas like uh, measurement uh, redesign, um, how, do, how we incorporate design thinking and user research in our improvement work, and really focusing on things like access, communication, and care coordination. But I'll hand it over to Dr. Ko uh, to give an introduction and uh, his role um, in patient experience. Thanks, Alpa, and uh, thanks, Skip and Jake. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys on, on this program. Um, I'm Justin Ko. I'm a um, Alpha's dyadic partner. I'm a uh, faculty member in, in our uh, Stanford University School of Medicine in the Department of Dermatology. So I'm a clinician. I also do some research, uh, both clinical translational, but also in digital health and, and AI and um, hmm. have some administrative roles. But this is the one that, um, that I've, I've taken on this role, newly created in our institution. Um, and it's been about a year um, and so my role is, is of Associate Chief Quality Officer over patient experience, and so a foot in that realm, and then a foot working with Alpha and her team in patient experience. And it's incredibly exciting um, for, for me because as a clinician, what I, what I clearly see day in and day out is just how significantly and how significant of an impact we can make on patients' uh, uh, care, their outcomes, the way they experience their care. Um, in, in, in sort of focusing on, on aspects of, of, um, of their care and their family's care and their experience uh, 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 sort of with, with all of these tentacles and arms that Alpa described 
And I think it's that clinical perspective of the way that the care experience intersects for our care team members and for the patients' families um, that, that, that I really hope to be able to bring, bring to that. Um, and so, again, really exciting work and, and look forward to talking about some, some of that with, with you today. Thank you very much, uh, both of you, for coming on. I'm very excited to have this conversation. We've, you know, we've talked on this program a lot about um, using continuous improvement methodology for, you know, improving quality or improving costs. Um, but we've not done as much with talking about the patient experience or the family experience side. Um, so, you know, just to, to start us off, maybe you can tell us, you know, some of the challenges you find with with driving improvement with um, patient experience and what some of the strategies you have. Awesome. Um, well, maybe I'll start out with a little bit of our history and then um, Justin lives this every day. So I think can definitely talk to the impact um, that we're hoping to have um, with some of the new things that we're working on. But um, like many organizations, um, you know, we um, have traditionally been um, utilizing um, what I would say as the historical kind of patient experience measurement tools, the traditional survey methods. Um, and when I first took this role um, over seven years ago, one of the things that I heard and continue to seek advice and counsel on was how are we using the data that we're collecting um, and how is that translating? And our faculty um, and um, other physicians uh, were giving some really constructive feedback, especially when we start looking at metrics and measurement and how we want to improve, what are our targets? What we learned is that um, the, although the data was interesting, it was flawed um, in a couple of ways. One, uh, the timeliness um, by which we actually could get data back to improve the patient experience. Oftentimes, traditional survey methods take six to eight weeks to get data back. And those that live in the improvement world, you're trying to do rapid tests and design. So more real-time um, feedback was something that we were really looking uh, to. Another thing that we found was that we kind of we kept asking the same questions over and over and over again. And again, those of us that have improvement backgrounds know that tests of change require you to test different interventions and um, look at those results and then help drive the next iteration. And those were things that we were just limited to in our traditional ways of measuring. So one of the things that, and it's been a journey um, that we started uh, several years ago, probably three or four years ago, was really transitioning to a new way of thinking about measurement. Um, and really taking the feedback that we were hearing from our clinicians and our care teams and our operational leaders to say, please give us data and information in our hands that we can look at and understand and consume in real time. So how are you driving those insights that create actionability for us? Um, you know, because as patient experience, you're asking us to improve. Um, but what tools, methods are you giving us to be able to do that? So one of the things, as I mentioned, is that we're down this path of um, uh, really thinking about how we modernize um, the way we listen to patients and how we measure their experience. Um, and I'll let Justin talk a little bit about those details and um, the perspective that we have from our faculty and from our physicians. And then the second thing is that's those measurements are also a point in time. So how do we supplement it? And so we are very much grounded in this um, approach of design thinking, which I think is very um, 
uh, in line with even other improvement methodologies like lean. I think the biggest thing is we start with empathy. Uh, we start with interviewing and understanding the experience for patients, physicians, care teams, family members, et cetera, and then pretty much go into um, our problem solving um, process. But um, Justin, I know you'll have a lot to, to add to what I just uh, commented on. Yeah, thanks, Alpha. This is an incredible area of passion for, for me and, and actually all, all clinicians because it's all about improvement, uh, Skip, as, as you started. And, and we're incredibly proud of the work that we've done around um, this modernizing measurement concept because the ability to engage, the ability to do meaningful improvement starts from how it is that we listen and understand um, what's important to our patients and, and truly how we measure and what we measure. And I think this, um, all, all of the challenges of, of maybe historical, traditional ways of, of measurement that, that we are hoping and seeking to overcome I think the biggest impact of that has been in how we are able now to engage our, our faculty, our physicians, our care team members, because what they see is, one, you guys listen to our feedback, um, and second, ah, you're starting to get at the heart of actually what we also see that patients care about, and you're now able to give us things that are concrete, tangible, that help us guide improvement, rather than, give you one example, asking a patient about delays in care. You know, depends a little bit about how they interpret delays, right? Is it delay in my care today? Is it delays in how long it took me to get to the um, to, to get an appointment in the first place? If we're not precise, if we if we don't ask the right questions, it's going to be challenging for us to be able to make those those improvements. And so I think it starts with that. This, the two other things that I'll point out in, in terms of that work that I think are also incredibly impactful and important. One is, what is it that we ask about? Right, so we are very hyper focused on episodes of care, of care of visits. Right, think about how much of our care happens outside of those formal interactions. How much of a patient's experience with the system and and what drives their their um, their care experience and truly their outcomes is happening between those visits and that in that space between, and yet we have no ability to to shed light on those right now. I think that's a hugely important um, a, a thing that we need to start doing. And we need to start understanding that the way that we deliver care has changed. Patients' expectations around their care have changed. The way we measure that and the way we improve also has to change. So I think that's really exciting um, a, a work ahead of us and, and a direction that, that we're looking to go. Essentially looking in all of those spaces between, I call them the dusty corners where no light gets shed. I bet if we start shedding some light there, we'll find some real opportunities for change. And maybe those are the things that are going to be even more meaningful to patients than what we currently measure. And then the last one I'll point out is it's so important for us to listen to the breath of the breath of the voices of the patients who we see, who, who we serve. And um, one question right, right now is, do the instruments that we have, do, 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 does that allow us to do that? And one of the things that, that I, I've looked at and seen in our new model of how we measure is we are actually much better at doing that. So I'll take um, one example, which is patients for whom English is not their first language. We can imagine how often their voices are missed in, in surveying or their feedback mm -hmm. is not incorporated. And then we would never know what challenges exist there. Um, in the new instrument, the new way that we do it, we have, a, we have, I can't remember how many languages right now that we survey in, but when we look at both the, the patients who are responding and the patients who we serve, there's a better concordance. We reach a broader geography. We do it in a more timely fashion. Um, all, all, all of this to say um, that our information is better. 
and our, the actionability then, you know, it, it's still a step um, to, to create that actionability, but at least we're starting from a much more solid uh, grounded foundation. Six additional languages, Justin. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's all really great. And I want to hear more about y'all's new process, but maybe just paint the picture for those that might not be as intimate with uh, current methodology for surveying patient experience. What does that look like? Um, and then what model did y'all move to? When did that happen? And, and maybe share some of the results you've had. Justin, do you want to start off and then I can add in? Yeah, I think, you know, tr traditional vendors, and, and there are there are many, um, the, the idea is, uh, you know, set of survey, a set of survey questions, typically the same across institutions and, and kind of, hey, here's, here's how you stack up against others. Um, I think what, um, what's challenging about that and what we found challenging, and I'll speak from the physician-clinician point of view, is that um, it, uh, it doesn't, doesn't feel engaging. Um, so, so one question is, if it's really all about improvement, you know, what does it matter where one stands in, you know, in in relationship to an institution, you know, 3,000 miles away in a different setting, different patient population, right? If it's about yeah. my improvement, what are you going to tell me and show me and help guide me as to what I can do better or what we can do better as a clinic? If that's not there, that linkage, either because of a temporal break or because, again, it's just how do you interpret what what is going on in a, pa a patient's brain when they're filling that out? Um if it's not actionable, then it loses its meaning. And then when we pair that with, oh, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna tie, you know, a reward or a disincentive or a, you know a, a slap on the wrist. When we start to do that, and there's there's um, that that um, that uh, cognitive disconnect, then what we see is disengagement. And I don't think you can get worse than because that's completely opposite to the improvement uh, intention. If we're aiming to improve and we result in disengagement. We, we've we've lost. Um, and so I think that that for me is is really we, we've got to start from that place of engagement and everybody's focus is we're using the we're using the data when we're using our listening for us to get better. This is going to help us to, to sort of drive where we have opportunities, where we need to go. And again, let's start looking in those dusty corners because <laughs> there's a whole lot. There's a whole lot there. Um, that that we don't realize we're not meeting our patients' needs or we're understanding how we can how we can do better by them. Yeah, and I'll just um, add on to say that um, kind of taking everything that Justin said and how do you now translate that into a new model? We're super lucky at Stanford because we have um, just like other great institutions um, like yours, we have lots of smart people around us and we have access to Stanford University and um, I Googled, or I should say, I look up. I looked up in our faculty directory, survey design experts, and of course we have them here um, at Stanford. <laughs> and uh, I just reached out to one of our professors here, and I said, you know, we have this kind of crazy, harebrained idea about reimagining how we measure and survey um, patients, and would could really use some um, kind of guidance around how others. Um, see the survey design process, et cetera. And so I shot off an email and literally within two minutes, um, uh, our prof the professor that we work with responded back and said, I'm in. Um, 
he happens to be a patient, so he understands, um, you know, the uh, process and um, I think how meaningful the work uh, could be. So it's been pretty exciting to be able to collaborate across um, the different um, areas uh, of the university. Um, and some of the principles that we thought about in our design was, you know, as Justin mentioned, I think benchmarking and all of that is interesting. It's a signal. It's a point in time. Um, and you should use it in the appropriate ways. And and if we're going to focus on improvement, how do we make those incremental changes um, over time? And one of the things that I realized, and I'll just use kind of our HCAPS uh, data um, as an example, we look at care coordination. And if you look at our kind of what I would call our absolute scores, um, okay, not great. <laughs> um, if we look at our top box scores, um, you know, if you're getting graded, you might have a C minus at best. Um, you know, on, on our call, college uh, grading scale. Um, but when you look at a percentile rank, you might be at the 95th percentile. So right. do we congratulate ourselves and say, <laughs> hey, we're some of the best? Or do we say, gosh, I don't think anybody's getting this right. And how <laughs> can we really understand, uh, to Justin's point earlier, what's important to these patients, especially as, for example, as they're transitioning from one um uh, area of care, say on the inpatient side, to back to outpatient or to a sniff. It's that area in between that kind of gets um, everyone caught up. And so I think, um, you know, for us, we were able to move to um, a new platform, um, uh, Qualtrics, uh, which a lot of academic medical centers um, use from a research standpoint. It's just a very flexible platform. They're not in the survey business, so we were able to um, leverage like the questions that we're developing um, to be able to now get feedback. Um, in, in one case, we had a patient return a survey um, or a questionnaire um, before they even left the parking lot. Um, and so talk about real time being able to then provide that data um, to our teams at the front line who are doing improvement work. And the beauty of this flexible platform is we can add questions for a short period of time as people are doing rapid cycle improvements so they can get data to understand if their intervention is working and we set up a process by which we can evaluate that. So um, I think it's, you know, we're we're still early on, but I think it's promising. And I, th I think, again, going back to what Justin said, it's an opportunity to engage with our clinicians and our care teams and our operational leaders in a way that we weren't able to um, before. No, that's really great. And I love what you said about the percentile um, ranking. I was on a call a couple of months ago. It wasn't related to patient engagement percentiles, but it was something different. And our absolute score had actually dropped between the time periods. Um, but our percentile ranking had gone up because everybody else in the country had worsened. And Got it worse, was yeah. one of those... It's like one of those things where <laughs> are we supposed to be happy about this outcome? <laughs> right. But... Um, so you're able to get data much quicker now. You said you're early in the process. Um, you know, what has your feedback been so far, you know, from the medical staff? I know in the past when we've tried to talk to them about, you know, patient experience data that was, again, six to eight weeks old or, or older. Um, again, we, we didn't get very much engagement. Have you found a difference? So I'll, I, I can speak a little bit on that. I, I, I think, yeah, yes. So 
The short answer is yes. And, and even when we talk about when we were engaged in the work of, of getting to this new system and, and the work of redesigning the, the surveys to, to, you know, to address some of the challenges uh, or the drawbacks of, of the previous, we had so many um, faculty members come up to us and, and, and be so interested in the work and, and wanting to explore, ah, what does this now mean for us? What can I now do? We have a huge now cohort of improvement leaders and, and folks who um, are active in, in the work who clearly see the potential for now I can really move this project along where ah, we've already had many, many requests for, hey, we're doing this. We'd love to understand this at baseline and then this at intervention. And we're trying to figure out the, the right process to be able to, um, to to have oversight and governance about that. And then we have folks in, in our uh, who are interested in health equity, for example, and saying, ah, I can see what happens if we layer on you know, these these data and really now start to be able to understand things in a way that we didn't before. So I, I almost liken it to we've created like the, the world's best playground that everybody now can see and, and they want to come and they mm -hmm. want to sort of uh, uh, and explore and see who else is there that they can play with, um, you know, go down this now new slide um, and really take advantage of, of some of these capabilities to, to enhance the work that they do. Um, so that's what I see. Um, also um, talk a little bit more in, in terms of ground level, how we present um, data to, to physicians. Every department traditionally has, has done it in different ways. And um, there's uh, we, we have a, a couple amazing faculty leaders who took this on and they said, they asked the question of, is there an evidence-based way that, that we could get to where we understand the best practices for how we present data in, uh, in order to, to create improvement and to create that engagement? And they're now in, I think, the second year of, of, of that process. So we really want to understand it's not just about having it, but how do you use it um, in, in a way to, to, to do what we all want to do? It's not as easy as just data, present, improve. Yeah. Um, there's nuance to that. And I think that's that's the area where, where, where we're exploring. So one question I have is um, it just seems to me, and feel free to push back because I could be wrong here, but it seems to be that we're in a survey fatigued society and that everywhere you turn, you get a survey. And if I'm being transparent, I avoid surveys like like completely avoid them. The only ones I'll tend to participate in is on my Uber drive because it's easy. <laughs> I hit one button. It's not very painful. But we had a guest on a, a couple years ago that was a medical anthropologist. And I found that so fascinating because they were using that in addition to their surveys mm -hmm. to find out, do y'all do anything yes. of that nature? And the other part of that question would be, do you also have the same concern that we seem to be living in this survey fatigue society? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so I think uh, for sure, uh, survey fatigue. Um, and to kind of get back to medical anthropology or ethnographic research, um, we definitely subscribe to that. That is how we start any and all improvement efforts that we have. Um, and um, I think Justin and I we were talking about this not too long ago, that it's actually a way better um, entry into talking about where the opportunity is, because we love starting with quantitative data and it completely depersonalizes the impact um, of our current process and what 
what uh, impact it might be having, obviously on the patient, but also the care teams. And when you come at it from a more ethnographic or user research based model, you get all the rich context um, that you miss out on on standard um, surveys or questionnaires. And um, I think over time, what's going to be really interesting in this utopian um, measurement world is where we will be less reliant on things like surveys um, and really be able to pick up on signals in much more real time through um, other data that patients are already giving to us um, in other ways. So, you know, if you one day get rid of surveys, we're still going to be able to pick up on blips of what's happening to their experience because of other um, information, whether it's call recordings in our call centers, right, um, whether it's patient reported outcomes, whether it's what have you, there are other signals that we can pick up in the system that will be able to tell us um, what that experience might um, look and feel like. And that's just the, the survey fatigue, length of survey is something we're all also trying to solve for right now because many surveys were like 50, 60 questions. We have built a dynamic process where not every patient's gonna get all 60 questions. Because we send our um, surveys out, those that are not regulated, um, because we send them out to as many patients as possible, I think we send it out to anybody who's had an encounter, um, the response rate is um, higher and the survey is shorter. Um, and so people will tend to complete um, their survey um, uh, more often than not. And we're actually studying how well we've designed uh, the survey um, as well, because these are new tools. Um, but I'll stop there. Justin, I'm sure you have um, stuff to add. <laughs> I, I, I agree. There's there's uh, survey fatigue. Boy, is there. And so I think may, maybe two, two points. One is one is just the survey itself. There's some innovation where we really did focus on how do we make this as accessible as possible, short as possible, and get the maximal information. I think that I think it's a doubling of response rate rate um, that, that I last saw. Alpha, you know, goes speaks to that, which is pr pretty cool. Doubling of the response rate, broader population reach, and then I think there's also a couple quotes or many quotes now, but one that stood out, which was an early one, early on quote. Um, a patient was incredibly engaged by the survey because they said, thank you for asking that question. It's an, it's a signal. The way, what we ask about and how we ask is a signal to what we, uh, for what we care about. And I, I, I really appreciated that where, where it's someone who, who was seeing our work and our intentionality. And that's, that's also a, a, I think a cool way that surveys also lend insight into the survey or I completely agree with Alpha that we're going to move to a place where it's not what we're not just listening to what you say, but we're just watching, you know, what it is that you do. How do you interact with our system? There's so much more that we can um, understand about a patient's either trust with our system or frustration with our system just by understanding and seeing, you know, what it is that they what they do and how they interact with us. Um, that's the future state. There's lots of, you know, uh, uh, big tech companies around us here that do that in a very uh, sophisticated way. You know, what's that medical equivalent where we can really be supporting a patient in their health goals um, by understanding, ah, you know, hey, I, I could, I, I sense that you're trying to accomplish this. You know, here's an invitation for you to schedule that um, uh, mammogram. Um, so so that, I think that is absolutely, you know, where, where we want to get to. 
um, and, and and certainly the the kind of information that that I think is is best is you know just yeah w watching what it is that people do and, and how they're interacting with the system. This is really really good. I have one more question though. I know we're coming to the end of our time, but this is so good. I could talk to you for a long time. How about are you also empowering uh, some of your physicians and frontline patient care? a team with what might be labeled as some of the soft skills. Uh, you know, I know a gentleman uh, over in Australia that we had, uh, his whole focus is around listening and how to build stronger listening skills. Uh, I know y'all have done much work uh, with uh, Edgar Schein and Peter Schein around humble inquiry. Are you approaching it there also to try to build some of those fundamental skills that you know that we all need? I, I love your question, Skip. Maybe I'll jump in and then uh, uh, we'll, we'll pass it off to Alpha for, for some of the details of, of an amazing program that we have here. Um, so we have a we, we have a strong belief and, and it's uh, woven um, in, into how we think about things that, you know, as a clinician, communication skills, that's the that's the intervention that I bring to the table, you know, more than anything else that I do. That's my number one go to medical intervention. Um, and so how we do that and how well we do that is is incredibly important. And um, and this idea of doing it through this relationship centered approach is is kind of our, our MO. So we have a program we call the Physician Partnership Program, which is an incredible one led led by um, a, a great team and, and, and a physician lead where the whole idea is how do we develop um, the programming and modules and um, and and ways that we can use to educate our our physicians and, and our care team members uh, about communication in all the different ways that we communicate yes to the patient that was our sort of foundational or 1.0 module if you will but also how do we communicate with each other how do we communicate with teams how do we communicate with colleagues now how do we communicate about end of life and and difficult conversations and so uh, there's a whole um uh, sort of set of, of programming, each more building on the last and more sophisticated. So um, that that concept is 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 one that we've carried through. And I think all of our active clinical um, uh, faculty, all of our physicians have gone through that basic uh, 1.0, if you will, module. And um, many have gone through those those additional sort of 2.0 or 3.0 type type modules as relevant to, to the work that they do. And that's an incredibly important way that I think we weave that communication skill, that excellence, that team excellence, um, uh, relationship-centered uh, capability throughout the organization. Uh, but, but be curious as to uh, Alpha's additions on that. I'll just be quick to say that um, the one of our key strategies in our patient experience kind of strategic roadmap is to continue to build um, a culture of empathy, compassion, inclusivity, and respect. And the way we can do that with our non-clinical staff as well, including our, our clinical teams, um, is through our CI care program. And without getting into the detail, it's basically the behavioral and communication construct that every team member subscribes to um, when they sign on uh, to be a member of the team here and continuing to reinforce the concepts that Justin just pointed out um, and having the right leadership infrastructure to continue to round on those practices, give feedback, reward and recognize all the core elements about what makes um, a good standard practice. Um, so kind of going back to the improvement world, but um, always evolving uh, as the environment changes.
Wow, so good. I'm so I'm so glad I asked that last question. Well, well, uh, Dr. Ko and Alpa, thank y'all so much for your time. I know you're really busy. Thank you for the great work that you're doing out there in Stanford. I was such an honor for me to be out there back in October. And and just thank you for everything you're doing. And thank you for, on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, thank you for coming on the, the podcast and, and sharing the, the great work you're doing. We're so grateful for you. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity.